Even when this world is full of chaos, death, and destruction, we have the good news that Jesus is alive. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Here at PCBC, I am grateful for the technology that allows us to connect every week, even though we are social distancing. I'm especially thankful for our volunteers and staff that work very, very diligently all throughout the week to make sure that this can happen. And certainly, I am very appreciative of you, an online church family that continues to check in each and every week. Well, these are definitely changing times in our lives. Uh, We find that today's shelter-at-home quarantine has changed our everyday way of living. And after so many different days at home, you might be running out of chores and creative ways to spend your time. So I thought I'd share with you a couple things that have been sent to me by email by certain church members, uh, documenting how people are experiencing their quarantine. Here's a guy. He is in day 16 of his quarantine. He has vacuumed his entire house. And taking it to such a limit, there he is on his roof, finding a creative way to spend his days. Now, I don't recommend that, but that is one way to get creative. We have an example. Don't put it up yet on the screen, but there's an example out of Texas. Austin, Texas, their motto is, keeping it weird. And they are living up to that motto. Take a look at this. Here's some creative social distancing happening in Austin, Texas. A lonely single man posted on his business sign. Single man with TP seeks single woman with hand sanitizer for good, clean fun. Now, that is keeping it weird. Well, those are just a few examples of a little bit of a lighter perspective on how we might be able to endure these days, these days of confinement. And it's hard to believe that this is Palm Sunday, 40 degrees outside, nobody in the church building, just doesn't seem like Palm Sunday, and yet here we are coming into this Holy Week, a week that we set aside to remember all that Christ did for us. Hard to believe that next Sunday will be Easter Sunday. We know it as Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to be able to still find a unique way to celebrate that He is alive. While we're in confinement, we're going to see that Jesus, while they confined Him to a grave, the grave could not hold Him. That grave could not keep him in. He resurrected from the dead. Last year, a year ago at Easter, churches were packed. And even though churches were packed, they still tell us statistically, probably nearly 80% of the American public still remained at home. Well, this year, 2020, Easter will be a little bit different. 100% of the people will be at home. But Cammie was sent this from somebody's Facebook. Take a look at this picture. I think it's a great reminder. It says, while this room may be empty on this Easter, we can relax knowing that this one is also empty as well. Praise God that the tomb is empty. That is the whole crux of the gospel. That is our hope that we cling to. Even when this world is full of chaos, death, and destruction, we have the good news that Jesus is alive. Well, as we head into Easter, there are some local pastors who have been pressuring our governor to declare Easter services as essential services, that we should be allowed to gather together. And and I just want to speak into that just for a moment. We won't be meeting next Easter in this auditorium, 
but we will be meeting in each other's living rooms. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a moment. I was on a recent phone call with one of our local hospitals that's preparing for the surge in cases of uh, COVID-19. And we've been told that over the next uh, week to two weeks, we will be ramping into a surge right here in Oklahoma City. Easter would be the very worst time for people to meet together. We need to continue to support one another. We need to continue to observe social distancing and let this virus die out. And so what will we do on Easter Sunday? Well, one, we're going to love our neighbors by providing an online service. We're going to respect our neighbor's health, and we're going to observe the authority of our land, our, our state, and our city. And as we do that, we're going to uh, reach out to our community. Uh, we have several different things that are happening within our community that we'll be talking about in a moment. But we'll be offering next Easter for the first time ever in the life of our church, at least, an online Easter communion celebration. In this, in our Easter online communion celebration, I'm going to ask that you would take this next week, gather up some elements, and prepare for next Sunday's worship service. That you would find whatever you want to use for the bread and that you might use for the cup. Have those ready in your home. And then we'll be doing an Easter communion from our living room into your living rooms. And we'll be doing that next Sunday, 945, online. I also want to let you know about some ministry highlights, some things that you can be doing to make a difference in your world. This past week, we were contacted by Baptist Retirement Villages and also by Integris Baptist Hospital. As you've seen in recent updates from our president in his COVID-19 task force, they are now recommending that we use masks when we're out in public. Well, certainly at the Retirement Village and also at Baptist Hospital, as the public are coming in for treatment, they're in desperate need for masks. So our sewing ministry will be leading the way. They will be helping us as a church. If you have any sewing skills at all, we'd like for you to volunteer these next week to two weeks to help us make masks at home. We will help provide fabric and patterns. You can get those up here at the church if you need them. Many of you already have fabric or maybe have patterns at home that you can use. If you need those, they'll be available at the church Tuesday through Thursday this week from 10 to 2. If you could be a part of that army, we'd like to know that you're helping us. If you would email that email address Sean talked about earlier, ministry at pcbc.tv. Just say, hey, I'd love to help sewing. I'll do masks, and we'll know that you're going to help us get those done. Literally, there's a need for tens of thousands of masks right here in Oklahoma City. The second way you can engage this Holy Week in reaching out, not just to Oklahoma City, but really throughout the whole world, is by bringing your story to the internet. We're asking each and every one of you to basically record your story, God's story through your story. It's your testimony. To do that in around 60 seconds, you say, how in the world can I tell that story in 60 seconds? Well, just as succinctly as you can, talk about your life before Christ, talk about how you found Christ, and then what Christ is doing in your life today. Try to make that a 60 to 90 second video. You're going to be able to post that or email it to our uh, team here at PCBC. We'll send out an email later this week that will explain to you how you can upload that to us. We're going to put it on our webpage, on our Facebook, and you can post it to yours as well. Southern Baptists are doing that throughout all the world. It will be an emphasis called hashtag my story. So let's be sure, let's be a part of that, and let's let God use 
our story to point people to his story. Well, let's dig in on our Bible study this morning. As we come to this Palm Sunday, I want to take us back in our study in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul is having to re-educate a population that was holding to a wrong belief and had held to it for hundreds of years. Now, what if you had a commonly held belief that many other people had in your community, in your city, and all of a sudden it was proven that your belief was wrong? That would certainly rock your world, wouldn't it? That would be something that would be so hard to deal with, something you've believed in for so long to discover that you had been believing a lie. Well, hundreds and thousands of years ago, and in Paul's day, there were many who believed in a flat earth. And then, over the years, science discovered and satellites helped us discover that we have a round earth, that that is the correct view. And yet, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the human race held to this understanding the world had to be flat. And now we know it to be round. Well, did you know that there's still some today there's still some today that still don't believe that there is a round earth. In 2019, nearly 1,000 people gathered for the third annual Flat Earth Conference in Dallas, Texas, the center of the Bible Belt. We can go through and we can see that many of these conferences have been held throughout the United States and throughout the world, in Raleigh, North Carolina, in Denver, Colorado. They've had conferences on the flat earth in Brazil, Britain, and Italy. And thousands upon thousands of people still want to believe there's a flat earth. Celebrities today like Kyrie Irving of the NBA and Draymond Green, NFL star Stefan Diggs, and other celebrities are still wondering, could it be possible that the earth is flat? Well, naturally, it is easy to believe that. If we didn't have satellite proof, photographic proof that the earth is round, it would be very easy to fall back to that old thinking. It's hard to believe that this planet is spinning at a thousand miles per hour and at the same time is moving through space and orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And yet it is. While we may hold to certain beliefs that seem right, that look right, that feel right, we come to understand there are things that maybe we don't understand correctly. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach here in Romans chapter 4. So let's see how Paul is going to teach that truth. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. In verse 3 it says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I want you to notice the last part there, verse Three, it says it was credited, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul is going to take a proof text. What they had looked to for hundreds of years, Abraham as their role model of what it means to be a child of God, he's going to take that and he's going to help them understand that they have been thinking incorrectly about what justified Abraham before God. They thought because Abraham was a good man. Because Abraham had favor with God that he was one of God's and that God made a promise to Abraham that because he was so special and he was so good that God would allow his descendants to also be the children of God. So they've grown up believing that because they were Jewish, because they were from his lineage, that they were right with God. Here the Apostle Paul says, no, remember and he's going to take them back into their scriptures, the Old Testament, and he's going to help them to see 
that his righteousness was imputed or credited to him. Here the Apostle Paul uses that accounting term we talked about last week, that it is literally to gain from someone else's account. It's not because you were a millionaire that you now have all these riches and he just adds a little more into your account. No, it's saying one who was bankrupt, one who had nothing, was given everything from another person's account. It was moved from their bank account into yours. And that's what Paul is going to teach us about righteousness. We're not righteous because we go to church or now we can't even go to church. We're not righteous because we are a member of a church. We're not righteous because we've been baptized. Our righteousness has been given to us. It is a gift received from heaven. It is Christ's account that is poured into our bankrupt lives. We are bankrupt of holiness, and yet we receive all the holiness of Christ into our lives. It is the imputed righteousness of our Savior. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26 and verse 29. Look at these two verses with me. Paul would write to the believers in Galatia and tell them that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now notice he didn't say everybody is a child of God. He says for those who have faith in Christ. You see, all of us are bankrupt when it comes to holiness. We're born in this world and we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see that all the time in Scripture. And he is not saying that everyone is a son of God, but those who place their faith in Christ Jesus. For those who do that, for those who declare their bankruptcy, and for those that look to heaven and realize only through your righteousness can I be an heir of God, look at verse 29. For then if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Paul here in Galatians reminds them, you're not an heir through Abraham, through flesh and blood, your heirs, we are all descendants in the family of God because of Abraham's example and because of what God did for Abraham. As Abraham realized he had nothing that was holy in him, as he received the Lord and believed in the Lord and placed his faith in the Lord, it was then that God counted unto him and God poured righteousness into his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, that he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We looked at that last week and talked about how our unrighteousness was transferred over to Christ on the cross as he hung there and took on all the sins of the world. And that there was an exchange that took place for those who placed their faith in what Christ did for them our unrighteousness is wiped away, and His righteousness is imputed onto our account. If we're in Christ, we've now become the righteousness of God. If you're not in Christ today, if Christ doesn't live in your heart, the Bible says, then you are one of unrighteousness. This whole concept of righteousness really determines whether we spend eternity with the Lord and whether we can even walk with the Lord now. Because you see, unholy cannot fellowship with holy. That is our separation. But God removed that separation in the person of Jesus, put that sin, our sin, that separated us from a holy God, put it on Christ on a cross so that we might be reconciled to God through Him. This concept of righteousness is used 29 different times in this single epistle. Over and over and over again, Paul took them back to this concept of the righteousness of God. 
And so now as we think about Palm Sunday, as Jesus and his disciples would enter into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday, we find the crowds were excited. They were they were so exuberant in their praise, and they're crying out, Hosanna, they're filling the streets, they're not under quarantine, and now in rides Messiah, or so they thought. Yes, he is Messiah, but they thought they were welcoming in a new ruler. They thought that they were receiving a Messiah that would deliver them from the Roman oppression and the rule of that evil government. They wanted a new ruler, but what they needed was righteousness. They thought that they needed a new ruler in Jerusalem and for their nation, but what they really needed was a new ruler of their hearts. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to unpack. So let's go back into Romans, and let's see what Jesus accomplished that holy week that started on Palm Sunday, that culminated in what we'll celebrate next Sunday. Go to Romans chapter 4 now. Take a look at the next verse, verse 4. Now to the one who works... His wage is not credited as a favor. In other words, it's not a gift. Uh, the employer doesn't come and say, listen, thank you for putting in those many hours this week. I want to gift you with a paycheck. Now, that's not a gift. That is a wage that is earned. He says, but that is what is due to you. And so now the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the difference between working to get God's favor and God's grace, which is a gift. Those of you who go out and work, you work those eight hours a day, 10, 12 hours a day, and at the very end, as the, as the boss gives you that paycheck, do you consider that a gift? Do you thank him and say, oh, thank you for that gift that you've just given me? Not at all. You worked hard for it. You deserve it. And that is a picture of what you have done. It is the product of the work of your hands. Well, many of us look at salvation in the same way. You can go almost anywhere on this planet, and if you talk to an unbeliever and you ask him, how are you right with God, the universal belief, just like a flat earth used to be in salvation, the universal thought is, well, I have to earn my way. I have to earn God's love. And if my good outweighs my bad, then that will earn my way, I hope, into heaven. But that is not how we get there. Paul's going to teach, it's not through what we work for it's what work was done for us on the cross you see wages are something you deserve but a gift is something we don't deserve it's a gift that is purchased a gift that is offered a gift that must be received and grace belongs to those who don't deserve it to those who realize i am unworthy to those who realize i'm bankrupt of anything that would make me righteous before a holy god but instead, they receive the gift of God's righteousness through Christ. And they trust Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Look at verse 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now he goes on to show it wasn't Abraham who worked his way into God's favor. It wasn't Abraham who who all of a sudden became a good guy, because we can look back at Abram's life before God got a hold of him, before he believed in God, and we find that he was a character just like you and just like me. He had to realize that God is the one who credits us righteousness, that we don't earn our way in, that we receive it as a gift as we believe by faith. But for the one who doesn't look to his works, for the one like Abraham who had to realize, I can't earn my way in, 
our response is to love God with a heart of faith and to let Him be our righteousness. If you would ever have to appear in court, and I pray you never have to, you would place your trust in an attorney, an advocate who would represent you. And you wouldn't say a word, you would allow that advocate to do all the talking for you. Well, the same is true when it comes to appearing before the judge of this universe. We'd be crazy to appear in our own account. We would be crazy to appear before the judge of all eternity and to try to justify our way into heaven. Try to break out a list of all that we've done and compare it to at least it's bigger than what we didn't do and hope that that would earn us into an eternity of holiness. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags and we would be eternally condemned, separated, not because he doesn't love us, but because we didn't love him and because we didn't have the righteousness of Christ. Well, here we find Paul saying to Abraham, if you want to look to Abraham, know that he didn't work his way into heaven. He understood he had to believe, and it's when he believed, that's when it was credited to him. Righteous standing with God. Now he's going to take another hero of their faith. He's going to take another example, and now he's going to talk about a man after the law. So Abraham, before the law. Now he's going to say, okay, well, what about David? David came after the law, after the law had been given through Moses. Another hero. Let's look at his faith, Paul says. Look at verse 6. He brings up David as an example. He's going to point out David wasn't right with God because he was a giant killer, right? He wasn't right with God because he was a man after God's own heart. He was just this really, 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 really good guy. David wasn't a good man all of his life. Take a look at this, verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now, Paul's going to quote David's 32nd Psalm. You can see this over in Psalm 32, but stay right here. He quotes it in verse 7. Take a look at it. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Underline that phrase. This isn't Paul preaching a new truth. This is Paul looking back to what the Holy Spirit revealed to David in the 32nd Psalm. David, who, a man after God's own heart, became a man after another man's wife. David, who had sinned, who had sinned with Bathsheba, who had tried to cover up that sin, had her husband murdered so that he could try to cover up what he had done in his unrighteous acts. This David declares that those who are blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So we find Abraham pointed to faith. David also points to faith. Paul reminds him David wasn't a good man. He wasn't a completely holy man. He too sinned just like the rest of us. And the only way he was made right with God was what God did for David. For he covered his sins. And how were his sins covered? How are our sins covered? By the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' disciples would have to learn that very lesson. And we will remember that next Easter as we think about what they celebrated as Passover that pointed to what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper. And on that last supper, 
They would look back to the blood that had covered the doorposts of their homes and every home in Egypt that had the blood covering their homes. A picture of God's salvation. They were safe from death. That would be a picture of David's truth, of Abraham's truth, of my truth and the truth of God's Word. That the only way our sins can be covered is not with our works and not with a church membership, with the blood of Jesus covering our lives. When God looks at me, and I pray when God looks at you, He doesn't see a Baptist, He doesn't see a good old boy and a good old girl, but He sees the righteous blood of Jesus covering our sins and making us, as He declared, the righteous children of God. Well, take a look at verse 9. And in verse 9, He goes on to remind us that we don't become acceptable to God through religious rituals either. That it isn't in our works and it isn't in our rituals. Look at verse 9. For he goes on and says, Is this the blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? He talks about Abraham as an example. Abram, before he was circumcised, he was credited with righteousness. So it had nothing to do with the Jewish rituals of circumcision. It didn't have to do, here you have David who was circumcised, Abram who was not. Both were credited with righteousness. Why? Not because of their rituals and not because of their own works, but because it was credited to them as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? In Genesis 15, 6, you can write it down in your notes. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That happened way before he ever took on the ritual of circumcision. That was when he was age 85 in chapter 17. He then is now age 99, 14 years later. And when was he credited with righteousness? 17 years earlier, not because of anything he had done in the flesh, but all that Christ had done because he believed. Drop down, let's go back to Romans now, uh, 4 and verse 13. So we see we can't do it through our works. We see we can't do it through our rituals. And we can't do it through being religious and trying to keep the law. Look at verse 13. Paul goes on and says, For it's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heirs of the word, uh, heirs of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. So why does, why does he use Abraham as an example of somebody who was saved without keeping the law? You see, Abraham lived 430 years before the Ten Commandments were even given. So how could Abraham be saved by keeping the law? So now he speaks into his audience and says, you want to look to Abraham? Look to Abraham. But don't draw the wrong conclusions and don't think because you are flesh and blood of Abraham or because you have rituals like circumcision or because you're keepers of the law. Abraham didn't even know the law. And yet he was righteous before God. Look at verse 14. For those who are of the law are heirs. Faith is made void and the promise is nullified. He goes on to say if it happened from keeping the law, then Abraham doesn't have any hope then Abraham must be separated from God. That doesn't make sense. It was credited to him, righteousness. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever declared your bankruptcy? Has there been a time in your life where you've acknowledged that you've sinned against a holy God and that if you were to enter into eternity, your sin would separate you from a holy God? Have you cried out 
and ask God to credit to your account righteousness, repenting of your sin, turning to Christ, and saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I receive you into my life. When we place our faith in him, when we believe just as Abraham did and just as David did, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus and we are the righteousness of God. Take a look very quickly. We'll try to wrap this up. Go to verse 16. So there are two reasons God established that we would be made right, not through our works, but through a gift called grace. I want you to take a look at it, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace. And it's through this grace that we may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, that would speak of the Jews who grew up under that religious understanding, but also to those who are of the faith, to those who believe just as Abraham did, for he is the father of us all. doesn't matter if you were born with a bloodline of Abraham and a Jewish heritage or a Gentile. Both have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're unrighteous or if you are religious. Both. Both are unholy. But only through Christ can we be made righteous. And we can only be righteous as we place our faith, believe in Him. Not in our head, but believing in our heart. Take a look at verse 17 next. And find that it's grace that guarantees what works cannot. It, it is grace that guarantees we are righteous with God, and it's our works that fail us. But now we get to verse 17. And it says, for just, it is, just as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who, watch this, underline this next phrase, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Paul concludes his argument. And he says, basically, spiritually, just like those who believed in a flat earth, they had to understand that the earth is round. And for those of you who thought that you were going to get to heaven because you were religious, because you were a certain group of people like the Jews or the Baptists or a Methodist or a Catholic, that doesn't work. That you think you can work your way in, most of the world believes that. But they're believing a lie. The truth is there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life. It's the life of Jesus. Jesus who lived on this earth, who was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. The only one in the flesh who ever lived without sin. The righteousness of God, nailed to a cross, died, was buried in a tomb. And three days later, rose again. Next Sunday, we'll gather together to remember that through Easter Communion. But every day we wake up, we get to wake up knowing that we are the righteousness of God, not because of anything we have done, but because now we see it all. We see the real picture. We see the truth, the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is our way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is my life. And because I placed my faith in Him and believed in my heart, October 18, 1981, I became a child of God. Does that happen for you? If it has... Would you join me as we pray and give God thanks? If it hasn't, I'm going to encourage you to pray with me right now 
and nail that fact down in your heart that you, like Abraham, like David, and like me, would believe in your heart that Jesus is the only way. Let's pray together. Would you join me as we pray? As I said earlier, if you're at home and you've already believed in your heart, not your head, but in your heart, and you've believed in Him as your only hope, your only way of salvation, would you give Him praise today and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me? And yet I know that I'm speaking to many, many who are watching live, many who will watch this on another day through our archive. But right now, as you're watching, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And I remember, I remember when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I desperately wanted to be right with God, and yet I didn't know how. I kept hearing that, that there was a way that I could be saved from my sin. And week after week, as I listened to the preacher, it kept making more sense. And finally one day, the veil was removed from my blind eyes, and I was able to see what maybe you're seeing this morning. You need a Savior. You need to believe not in your head, but in your heart. If that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. For the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so, cry out to God right now. You can voice it out loud. You can voice it just from your heart to His. But declare this, Lord Jesus. Just say that to God, Lord Jesus. I confess that I've sinned against you. And Lord, I know that my sin would separate me from you. But I believe in my heart today that you so love me that you came to this earth and you died on a cross for my sin. You paid the penalty for what I did. And Lord, I believe by faith that what you declared in your word is true. That whoever will call on your name shall be saved. Lord, I call on your name. Jesus, save me. I open the door of my heart and I invite you in to be my Lord. I receive you as my Messiah. The Bible says that if you just prayed that, you've become a brand new person. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, the old things pass away. You are now a brand new creature, creature, creation. You've gone from being dead in your sin to now being alive in Christ. I want you to reach out to our online pastor right now. If you're watching live, just chat in the chat box and say, this morning, I prayed to receive Christ. We want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with you. And we want to send you some materials. If you're watching this online, I hope that you would email me. Email me at my uh, church email address, bholse, that's B-H-U-L-S-E, at pcbc.tv. I'd love to rejoice with you as well, and we'd love to get some information to you this week as you celebrate the new life in Christ. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. As we get ready for this Holy Week, I hope that you will also watch our homepage for a lot of devotions that will go in through this week, and then we're going to try to create something online as well for Good Friday. But then next Sunday, remember, we're going to celebrate together in our living rooms. Gather those elements. Be ready next Sunday, 945. As you gather together, whether you're alone or if you're with some other family members, snap a shot with the elements. Uh, post that on your social media and put hashtag PCBC Easter. We want to spread the word that no matter what's happening in our world, we're still celebrating that He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Until next Sunday, God bless, and we'll see you online the rest of this week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.